Thank you for welcoming me to the platform. Glad you're all here today. Let me say just a quick word. Uh, Trent Nettleton and I are working on taking a team to Russia next summer. If you're interested, go to the global engagement site, look for service learning opportunities. So there's a little Wesleyan church in the city of Vladimir, Russia, about three to four hours east of Moscow. They've asked for help in running a family camp and in doing an English camp. We're looking for about six to eight people. If you're interested, check it out. So this is um, Bible Monday, and we are on commandment number three. We'll get into exactly what that is in just a minute. Our theme that we've adopted is free to run. We believe that the Ten Commandments are not chains that bind us and keep us from an enjoyable, beneficial life, but the Ten Commandments are actually bolt cutters that snap those chains and set us free to live the life that God has for us. So we'll talk about the third commandment and how it sets us free. Let me show you a picture. (laughs) So you might not recognize me, but this is me from a few years ago. Uh, You really can't tell, I'm standing in front of a bunch of students, so this is one of my classes and I take pictures of all of my classes to help me remember them and to pray for them and so forth. But back then, not now, back then, people said I looked like this guy. And I mean, honestly, uh, I got off the plane in Port-au-Prince, Haiti and uh, walked through the airport and coming through the mass of people and some guy in English said, you look like Chuck Norris. What? I was in Russia, climbed into a cab one night and sat in the front seat. Others were in the back and the taxi driver said, where are you going? And then he kept looking at me and said, anybody ever tell you, you look like Chuck Norris. So yeah, okay. That's the way they, one day I walked into a class here at IWU, started the class and realized the students weren't looking at me, they were looking past me. So I turned around to look at the board and somebody had put this. I wore a suit today because I didn't want you to be distracted. And believe me, if I wasn't wearing a suit, you'd be distracted. (laughs) Let me ask you a question. Whom do you resemble? So it's not the question, who do you look like? You can't control that. That is what Robert Clinton calls a sovereign foundation issue. Sovereign foundation issues are what God puts into your life that you didn't choose and can't change. The way you look is a product of your lineage, right? Um, So I'm not asking, who do you look like? I'm asking, when you leave a place and people reflect on your character, Who are they reminded of? You can control that by what you allow into your ears and into your eyes. You can control that by what you meditate on in your mind. And what you meditate on is going to fuel what you say with your mouth, what you do with your hands, where you go with your feet. It's going to build your influence and leave behind the fragrance of 
something. The fragrance of Christ, perhaps, hopefully. So Mark Twain said, I was made merely in the image of God, uh, but not sufficiently resembling him enough to be mistaken by anybody for him except a very nearsighted person. I think that's a funny thing to say, but, but I don't, I think it's a humorous, a humor is a better word, it's not funny, it's humorous, but their humor is rooted in tragedy, and the tragedy, of course, in Twain's statement is that a person like you or me could live all of life, and nobody ever thinks about God the Father because of our influence, or thinks about Jesus Christ the Son, or thinks about the Holy Spirit. So a question for you this morning, at the end of the day when you re reflect back on what you have done and said, who have you resembled? Who have you honored? The commandment for this morning is number three. Read this with me, will you? You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. The word Lord is in all caps, not because you're supposed to emphasize it when you read it, but because behind that English word Lord is the Hebrew four-letter word for the name of God, the most personal name of God, Y-H-W-H. -H. And nobody knows how to say it. Moses knew how to say Y-H-W-H -H because he heard God say it. Moses said to God, um, if I go down to Egypt to lead the Israelites out, they're going to say, who sent you to us? What shall I say? God said, tell them, I am that I am sent you to them. So Moses heard God say it, I am that I am, is this Y-H-W-H. But in subsequent generations, the Jews were so awed by God and so in fear of taking his name in vain that they stopped saying Y-H-W-H until nobody knows how to say it. None of the Jews know how to say it. There's no vowel points. Instead, they would say, they would call God Adonai or Elohim or something else, but they would never use his most personal name. At the very bottom of the slide, there's three, uh, really three letters, uh, and there are some Jews to this day who won't write G-O-D because they don't want to complete this reference to deity, and so they write G-D as a way of not taking his name in vain. So here's the thing. The third commandment says, don't misuse the name of the Lord your God. And we often automatically assume it means swearing, saying things like God D, you, and a bunch of other stuff I'm not even going to allude to. What I want to say is it is about that. It is about that stuff. And we should leave cursing and swearing and filthy language out of our vocabulary because it's not in keeping with the pure, holy character of God. But this commandment is not only about language. It's also about living and acting like God's children day after day, week after week. For example, in the New Testament, the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, okay, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
So immediately after Jesus establishing once again that God is our Father, our Heavenly Father, and we address him as Father in prayer, the next thing is hallowing the name of God, holding holy. To hallow something is to set it apart, uh, set it apart as holy, to sanctify. He says you should pray, hallowed be your name. You're asking God to make his name holy and by asking him to make it holy, you are saying in my life, your name is holy. I hold you holy. And then you can read the rest of the Lord's prayer as illustrations of how we can live that out. For instance, the next line says, your kingdom come. Uh, one way that we commit to living holy lives, to living lives that reflect the holiness of God is by seeking his kingdom here on earth. Dr. David Wright wrote a little book called Making the World a Better Place. It's a simple phrase that captures one aspect of what it means to seek the kingdom of God on earth. So if you're an educator or a nurse or a mathematician or whatever your major, you are helping to make the world a better place by chasing back ignorance and teaching people and helping them find new connections. You're making the world a better place. We don't always do that. We don't always make the world a better place. Seeking God's kingdom on earth is making it a better place. He also says, um, when we obey, when we do what he wants, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says, when we obey God, we are showing that we are his children. What is it God is asking you to do? When we, when we acknowledge him as our source, give us this day our daily bread. When we say, give us this day our daily bread, we're not just talking about the thin slices of bread that you drop in the toaster for breakfast, perhaps. It's a metaphor for all of the needs of life. All of the needs of life. There was a point where um, my wife and I lived by this verse, give us this day our daily bread. We had answered a call to go to Russia for a year and I had quit my job as one of the pastors at College Church and had rented our house to missionaries who were back in the States for a year. And then she discovered that she had um, cancer for a second time. Uh, thank the Lord it was a cancer that was readily addressed by surgery and she didn't have to have chemo. It wasn't like the first cancer. This was very different and very quick and yet it meant Although we were on track to get to Russia, we couldn't go for four or five months. So here we were all of a sudden. We believed answering God's call, no place to live, no job. And the church, college church, said, look, we've got a rental property uh, close to the church that's just come up empty, and you and Kay can live there if you like. Thank the Lord for a place to live. And then Dr. Dave Smith, who was then the dean of the religion department, said, we want you to come to work at uh, STM, School of Theology, for this semester. And I worked as an adjunct. Uh, it was, it was um, the provision of God. And still, I was fretting about money things because of all the medical bills. Insurance wasn't covering everything. One morning, sitting in this little rental house, having my devotions, I read through John, uh, Matthew chapter 6 and hit this Lord's Prayer. And when I read, give us this day our daily bread, I felt like the Lord pushed the pause button and said, wait a minute. Do you know that when you pray, give us this day our daily bread, it covers 
all of your needs, even financial needs. I said, what are you saying, Lord? He said, if it's not in your checking account, then you don't need it. And when you need it, it will be there. Do you trust me? And I said, I'm going to try to trust you, Lord. Yes, I trust you. And do you know he walked with us through those next four or five months. We paid all the medical bills that needed to be paid. He provided for us. And when we needed the money, it was in the checking account. And when we didn't need it, it wasn't there. And there was nothing to do for worrying about it. His promise is true. And what I'm saying is, this is a part of hallowing the name of God. It's a part of living as people who exalt the name of God. Don't misuse the name of the Lord. is isn't just about taking his name in vain by saying the wrong words and the wrong phrases. It's about living in a way that honors him day by day. John Wesley looked at Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, and he said there are five ways that we misuse God's name. Hypocrisy, claiming to be something we are not. Covenant breaking, you ever do this? Oh God, if you just help me pass this test, I will uh, go to prayer service or I will put my books away in chapel and pay attention to the service. I don't know what you promise him. But we promise God stuff, right? Get me out of this pinch and I'll do something. Do you do those things you say that you will? If you make promises to God, trying to bargain with him, and then you don't come through with your part of the promise, Wesley would say you're covenant-breaking. Rash swearing is what we would simply call swearing, saying the wrong words, saying things like God, D, you, and so forth. Uh, False swearing is uh, when you intentionally tell a lie and you have already said, I'm going to tell you the truth. It applies to people who testify in court for a long time. Our culture has had witnesses put their hand on the Bible, right? And say, with your, uh, with your left hand on the Bible, right hand raised, um, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. And then some people get on the stand and tell lies. Wesley says that's false swearing, using God's name carelessly and lightly. Using God's name carelessly and lightly may be when we invoke it too many times, like the guy I was in college with 100 years ago here. He would, he would come to the dorm and he would say, I found God's will for my life. Well, tell us about her. And she was always somebody beautiful and, you know, with a great future ahead. And a week later, I'd say, how's it going? He'd say, well, she wasn't the one. He did this so many times. He said, I found God's will for my life that we, we weren't very kind. We began to tease him and say, who's God's will for your life this week? Maybe that's using God's name lightly, not using it seriously. So I want to point out that our world is familiar with this idea of um, using names in a certain way. Corporate names, product names, it's called brand management. God isn't the only one who says, be careful with my name and if you misuse it, uh, I will know and I won't hold you guiltless. For instance, try this. Create a soft drink and bottle it and label it and sell it as Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola, it's not the same name, Coca-Cola, what do you think will happen? 
You'll hear from the lawyers of the Coca-Cola company, they'll give you a, uh, an order that says, unless you cease and desist immediately, we'll take you to court and sue you for everything you own. What I'm saying is corporate America knows what it is to have a name and to try to protect that name because they not only want to protect the profits that they earn with that name, but they want a pure idea of what their brand means. And wherever we go, you and I, people are building an impression of who God is by the way we live and the way we act. Did your mother used to say to you, maybe still does, what my mother said to me? Now, David, remember whose son you are. You wear the family name, and wherever you go, people know that you're of Artiman, and they're getting an impression of what our family is like from the way you act. She usually said that on date night. I don't know why. And what she's saying is um, our family represents certain values and we want you to broadcast those to the world and make us proud. Ephesians 27, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless. Uh, this is the threat that goes with the command. Have you noticed in scripture that for every command there is a threat with every threat there's a promise you might draw a circle I haven't done it might draw a circle uh, there is a command that tells us how to live there's a threat if we don't behave that way but with the threat there's a promise God will do something wonderful if we keep the command and it circles back to the command once again uh, once again command threat promise they all go together so the the threat is that God will not hold you guiltless what's the promise What's the promise? Well, uh, there are many, but let me cite a couple. Uh, Exodus 26 gives a command, and at the end of this section for command number two, it says, um, but I will show love to thousands of generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. There's a promise from God. I'll show love to your children and your children's children to a thousand generations. That's incredible. It's incredible. If you jump over, uh, here's what I want to say to you. What's the command? If you, if you live in a way that glorifies God with all of your life, what's the promise? The promise is anything, any promise in the Old Testament that doesn't apply to the cultural living of the Jewish faith and any promise in the New Testament that God intends for his people. Someone has counted and said there's over 3,000 promises in the Bible. You could probably pick any of those promises that are meant for Christians and say, this is my promise, but I also believe that God will impress particular promises on you. What promise is he sealing to your heart today? John chapter 15, John chapter 15, verse five, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. I hope you will seize that promise and hold it tight and live it all of your life because what it says is, if you stay connected to Jesus Christ, if you glorify him with all of your life, you will live a fruitful, not a fruitless life. Nobody wants to live an unproductive, meaningless life. 
Stephen Covey says it's a shame to climb the ladder all of your life and when you get to the top realize it's leaning against the wrong wall. Jesus says you won't be climbing the wrong ladder if you are connected to me. I'm going to give you a fruitful life. And it all connects with honoring God, with upholding his name, with glorifying him. Back in January or February or sometime early in the year, I was sitting in church over at College Church and Pastor Steve finished the sermon by saying this, uh, ask a question. He said, what are you holding on to that God wants you to let go of? And I immediately thought, you need to let go of being a professor. I had an instant reaction. Emotion began to well up in me. I'm old enough to retire. My wife wants me to retire. But I thought, it's God saying it's time to retire. I said, Lord, whatever you want. My wife wasn't there that day. She was sick. And when I went home, I said, I've got some news for you. Uh, I think God is telling me it's time to retire. She said, you do whatever God says. And over the next few weeks, God and I had an extended conversation in morning worship service. While worship is going on, I'm talking to God. I said, okay, if I'm... If I'm... Um, not a pastor, I was a pastor for 32 years and I'm not a professor, who am I? He said, you are my child. That wiped me out. I said, that's good enough for me. A few weeks later I said, okay, if I'm not pastoring and I'm not professoring, what am I gonna do? I can't do nothing. He said, don't seek something, I'll bring you something. And I, we had friends who uh, work in Manila in the Philippines, work at a seminary. They stopped in one day and out of the blue, they said, you guys ought to come to Manila and help us teach in the seminary. It would be great for you to influence Filipino pastors. I ran it over to the Lord and the Lord said, this isn't it. This isn't it. And every opportunity I thought, is this it, Lord? And he said, it's not it. And then my dean, Dr. Ken Shank, came to my office and he said, um, I've taken a job up at Houghton College and uh, you ought to be the next dean. I said, absolutely not, that's my death job. I have no interest in doing administration like that. I've never wanted to do that. No, 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 told him all the reasons why. He left and he came back a week later or so and said, uh, you really ought to be dean and I kept saying no and God broke in and said, David, what if this is what I'm bringing you? You ought to at least be open. So today I'm interim dean. You understand interim? <laughs> Means you don't have to do this forever. <laughs> what I'm trying to say to you is if you set yourself to honor God with all of your life, to glorify God with all of your life. He will speak to you. He will give you promises. He will lead you from strength to strength. Life won't be all wonderful and rosy. You'll have difficulties, but he will be there to walk with you through it. And I'm asking the question, whom do you resemble? When you leave a place, are people reminded of Jesus? I hope so. I bet that's true for many of us. I bet some others of us can do better at that. 
The team is going to sing a song, and I want to give you something physical to do to respond to the challenge this morning, to glorify God with all of your life. And it's this. If this is your desire, to glorify God with all of your life, to live by his promises, to honor him, sometime during the song, we're not going to do this all together. I don't want it to be a group act. I want you to initiate this. Sometime during the song, take your index finger and make the sign of the cross on your forehead. It's a prominent part of your face. It's close to your thoughts. And it says, I want to be marked by the cross of Christ. Nobody sees it but me, but I pray that they will sense it. Will you do that? And will you live for Christ, glorifying him, not taking his name in vain?